you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, never mind. Bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Barside Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman. And I'm Matt the Innkeeper. And this is a Wheel of Time podcast from the Dusty Wheel. This episode contains spoilers. If you have not completed the Wheel of Time, please proceed with caution. Hey everyone, welcome back to Barside Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman, and as always, I'm here with my friend Matt, the innkeeper. Matt, how's it going? It's going excellent because we have the Grand Nablus with us tonight. We do. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're the one that's got everybody pronouncing it wrong now, Matt, so (laughs) I mean... I mean, I'll be honest, the, the moment that I, I put that out into the universe, it was, a, it was kind of a happy day. It was a happy day. For you, maybe. It made me feel like my whole channel was a lie. Um, my whole identity was a lie. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know. Thanks for having a, me, guys. Yeah, that, that voice you hear is the Grand Nablus. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to be here. Cool. So let's talk about a topic. I'm, I'm going to give a short rundown of how I came to this topic. It's a little bit roundabout. I hope you bear with me. I was listening to a podcast about King Arthur and Arthurian legend and all of that stuff. And that podcast started talking about the chosen one trope of people who are born to power. Like it is not there. They aren't, uh, they don't get it because they're the best. They don't get it because they earned it. They get it because it's part of their blood, right? Like Mm -hmm. you are the son of so-and-so and therefore you are going to be king and the trope is is extremely popular through fantasy but what it made me start thinking was like bloodlines how power is passed through in fantasy how all of that happens and then i started thinking about okay well what about Luz theron what's the connection between Luz theron and rand and they're not descendants right they're, there's not a blood connection the souls were just recycled uh and so i started thinking like well wait a minute well what if, this is my crazy idea, but what if like Luz Theron broke the pattern by committing suicide at Dragon Mount and that instead of the, the, the cycle like, you know, perpetuating itself the way it's supposed to, the way time is supposed to be circular, what if he did something that the pattern wasn't expecting and that is why the Dragon Reborn uh, is able to come out? Now, that's kind of a weird thing to kind of put out there, but my thought process is like, okay, Rand is supposed to be the Dragon Reborn. It's supposed to be basically Luz Theron's soul, but Luz Theron was married to one woman. That's Ilyana. Rand is married to three women. He's got like eight kids now. He's like, you know, like... Uh, spoilers. Uh, have, yes, <laughs> yes, spoilers. Um, but but he's, you know, he's he's his life is essentially totally different from Luz Theron's. And so it's just started making me think about the pattern, about Luz Theron, about how those souls connect. Could Luz Theron have broken the pattern and allowed Rand to do all of the things that happened up until the last battle and even the things in the last battle? Um, I think there's some open questions about what actually happened at the very end. Uh, but anyway, that was kind of my thought process. So I don't, I don't really know exactly what the question is, but it's kind of this idea of like, did Luz Theron break the pattern? Let me answer your question, Brian. Okay. No. 
Is there yeah, I, I echo um, so. no. So is that, does that mean the podcast is over? That's over. It's done. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for having me. Um, no. So no, I mean, this, the, the good point there is that Jordan said about this third age that there wasn't fundamentally, basically, uh, anything different about this age, uh, this third age, uh, as far as a previous third age. That is to say, if somehow Luz Theron had done something completely different than it had been done in a previous second age to this one, then the third age would have been different, but it wasn't, which suggests that the second age wasn't necessarily any different than what the large swipe of what that age was meant to be was. So I would say no, Luz Theron didn't, but I think it does beg a, another question, which is an important question is, could Luz Theron have done something to have broken the pattern of his particular age. I'm not. I, I don't want to go with a larger question just yet, but I want to ask you to enable us that, which is not can you break the entire wheel? That's a good question, but we don't have to tackle that right at right this moment. But can you break the pattern of an age? Uh, is the does the power exist for a soul to do that? What's your thoughts? Well, I mean, I I think my my first gut answer is no. Um, I, I feel like there's a bit of predetermination with Taviran and the way the pattern weaves to the degree that because I, I, I think these kids like, look at the main three, right? Look at how they try to run away from their destinies, right? And they can't like they, they doesn't matter what they do. They can't um, whether that's because of their upbringing that makes them uh, committed to that. But whatever that is. They are what they are. And I think if you allow for, for someone to be able to break the pattern, then in an infinite turning of the wheel, it will break. That makes a Shamael correct if somebody could, quote unquote, break the pattern. Um, so I don't know. My, my initial gut answer without giving it tons and tons of thought is that th there is a predetermined, uh, you know, to a degree, maybe it works out a little differently each time. But the result is always going to be the same, is, is for the wheel to keep turning. So my answer to that is probably no. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. let me, let me uh, yeah. kind of extend the metaphor a little bit. Um, if you have a, uh, a, a wheel and there's is slightly off alignment, over time, it, it will keep turning, it'll keep turning, and nothing really looks different until one day it snaps. So is it possible... Like I, I get your analogy, but but I'm not sure that it necessarily holds up with the analogy of the wheel because wheels are not indestructible. They do break. They oh, do okay, go so, flat. No, this is no, this is this is a good question because Jordan talks about the the wheel turning, and for those of you that are listening from a cyclical perspective, like time, it's it is a real thing for the wheel of time. I know sometimes fans get a little bit tied up in this idea of like maybe they're making this up inside like that's just something Moiraine was led to believe or Luz Theron was led to believe and it's like no Jordan talks about it actually being circular time so uh, to answer your question he does talk he his one of his quotes was um I think of this world as fixed circular but with a drifting variation <clears throat> so um this yeah that's a good question can you create does the drift of the variation eventually create a pattern or changes in the pattern that the wheel cannot correct for leading to the destruction either of a of the pattern of that particular age itself or something greater. But I'm kind of leaning towards what Nablus just said, which is 
it sounds like to me the drift was built into the wheel <laughs> and so mm-hmm. that the wheel already it's already calculating the drift and it's already adjusting for the drift so it will never allow such a grand drift to break the actual wheel itself. Like that's well, how it, I would answer it that. It feeds but. into a little bit more of the metaphysical here with the wheel of time universe. And you would probably be better geared to answer this given that you've seen more of the notes than I have. But um, my, you know, you, you have, okay, is there a hand directing the weaving? Does that make sense what I'm saying? So like, I think that's where you start getting into this meta. Cause if there is nothing that directs it, if there's no rule set that the, the wheel has to follow, right, in terms of the way it weaves, then of course, yes, it can drift. But if there is somebody or a rule set or some type of a entity that directs the weaving, then it can always be corrected because someone inside of the wheel cannot affect the exterior uh, to the degree that they could not fix it. Um, you know, if you look at the degree that Rand's Taviran nature shaped events, I mean, during the even just this story, right, like, Taviran is a, you know, again, I wonder, is that how, how is, how does the rule set work that determines what is the, the fate that Taviran have to be forced into, right? Because the pattern is shaping itself around them. They're not choosing it. Right. And this goes back to that. Yeah. And there's a question here of, yeah, do you have, what's your hold on the wheel from a Taviran's perspective, right? They definitely have a greater effect on that swirling nature of everyone's threads around them. And they can shift the wheel a little bit and pull everybody with them, but they can be shifted (laughs) very easily Uh by the actual wheel itself. They can be pulled back into alignment. So if they've, if they've created some kind of drift pattern that would lead to destruction, the wheel does have its ultimate control over their thread and can pull them back into alignment, which you see happen back and forth with Rand, you know, as he's walking through cities. And uh, there are moments where you can tell the wheels kind of putting its thumb down. Now, Jordan did, it doesn't say this in his notes. Um, in fact, that's a, you brought that up. It, I haven't seen anything. It, it's, it's really fascinating. Jordan didn't, in his notes, he didn't like detail out, like these are rules one through 30 of how the metaphysics work. It seemed more just like he was, what's the, what do they call the writing approach where you discovery writing or something? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Pantsing. Yeah. So it seemed like it was a discovery for him in that regard. So you would see rules show up over time as he'd answer questions. But one of the things he does say, which I brought this one up a long time ago uh, in a lot in one of the live streams, which was, He said, we're not talking about something as simple as a spinning wheel. We're talking about something more along the lines of the most complex computer you could possibly imagine. And he does later on say that it's not sentient, though. But to the point you made, Nablus, yeah, there's there's definitely a rule set, right? If we think about it in computer technology terms, there are certainly some programming um, and some bounds set for what was allowed and when something errors out or goes outside of them, it has mechanisms to fix that and, you know, I guess, heal that or shift it back. Well, I guess one of the questions would be, like, is that mechanism infallible? Does it always work? Is it possible for the corrective mechanism to fail? I think the only answer to that question comes with how long has the wheel existed? Because if it is infinite, right, 
it's been around for an infinite amount of time. There was no starting point. And although we know there was a time of creation, but um, because if it is, then, then technically uh, it can't break because that's just the nature of infinity. Okay. Um, now, if it had a direct starting point, it's possible that it could, right? Um, I, I want to go back to that computer analogy though, because now we're going to get into this whole, this is a, here's a good post for theory land, Matt. Um, uh, is, is the wheel of time a simulation? You always hear those people talking about our, uh, yes, our, our time is a simulation in a computer. Probably. Yes. Right. So th there's a good one. There's a good video topic. Um, but I, so I come back to this. I think the, uh, the, the wrench in the whole thing here is the dark one because the dark one would be the antithesis of i mean if the creator created the pattern right like did the creator create the wheel if so okay then the wheel is is of the creator it is programmed it, that programming those rule sets whatever that is the programmer for the computer was the creator um which then all the variables are controlled by said creator nothing can technically deviate I feel like the dark one would be the one that could introduce, uh, call, uh, call it a virus, if you will, right? That can derail. And I think that was the entire intention. Like that that was Shamayel's whole point was, is that um, eventually the dark one would break the wheel. So it was inevitable. That was his thought process, at least. So I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good thought process in the sense of you think about viruses, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, look at what, as human beings, we experience, which is, you know, your body is able to kind of bring itself back into balance, but ultimately- Most of the asked, time. Most of the time, yeah. What I'm saying is, but ultimately we all know that, you know, would you bet on the virus? You probably would bet on the virus, uh, you know, because of how capable it is of uh, basically um, accommodating, uh, you know, whatever the body comes up with and coming up with new ways to attack um, and overwhelm its, you know, target. So I-, I Shamael's opinion makes a lot of sense here if he understands if you if he's able to step out and look at the pattern the way that the dark one and the creator look at it then I, in my opinion he would see a starting point he would see that this thing did have a start he would look at the dark one and recognize its power and its capability to corrupt something like the wheel and he would ultimately believe that some at some point the virus would succeed like that's how I, that, in other words, to me, his opinion, it makes sense if he's, if he has that longer view of the dark ones, been able to give him that long, that out, outer view, if you will. Well, okay. Let's dive deeper into the metaphysics here. And again, sorry to get, this is a weighty topic, but, uh, but let's say this, okay. The dark one never has a very serious, even when he's totally free, right. Or at least he was free enough with the boar during the age of legends he had a modicum of control, but no, no, not to the extent that the pattern did. So hypothetically speaking, let's say, Matt, you are the chosen one of the dark one. You are introduced to destroy and break the pattern. Um, me as the creator or the pattern, if I truly felt like you were a existential threat, I could have it programmed where the rocks break under your feet. You small, you fall and snap your neck. Okay. Like, the, the creator or the pattern has that level of control that the dark one never does. Okay. So I feel like the inevitability here is, is that even though it appears that Rand became very close to being turned to the dark one, right? That that was never really at stake. 
if you're looking at it from the metaphysical, if there's a rule set, because most of those things could have been prevented, right? And so that does bring up the question, did the pattern prevent them or does the rule set not extend far enough to prevent random freak things from happening that keep Rand from ever really truly being challenged, right? Because you could argue the, 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 the struggles that he had prepared him perfectly to face the Dark One. Had he not crossed Balefire with Moradin, he would not have been able to use the true power to seal the boar. Like all of those things had to happen for him to do what he did. So it's almost the inevitability of making it appear if I'm the pattern that that was part of the strategy was to let the shadow come that close. Yeah. And you, and you can say that the pattern used the dark ones desire to give, you know, Ishmael and others, its ability to use the true power. It was able to use Mord in that way to connect him with Rand, to give Rand the ability to the, right? Like in the end of the day, uh, the pattern used Moradin and his access to the true power against the Dark One. Um, in, in, in And it does have that ability. Jordan talks about, you know, Ishmael is still a thread in the pattern. And so the wheel still has its thumb on Ishmael. And it's almost like Ishmael, it's almost like the Dark One knows this, right? He, the Dark One must know this and still uses them because, and, and this is why I believe he uses the Forsaken though. The Forsaken do have access to the one power, well, it, right, you know, the the concept of they have access to the power that drives the wheel mm-hmm. because I think what Rand displays at the end of the books is that he 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 touches upon the power of creation using mm-hmm. the one power. And if you think about that, then it does suggest to me at least that the one power itself can be used to destroy the wheel if it's the thing that's powering it. And so the dark ones trying to use forsaken who have access to the one power to destroy the wheel. However, the same people he's trying to use are controlled by the wheel. So it's, it's an interesting back and forth. I, you know, I, I like what Jordan, what Jordan set up here uh, in that sense, because it's this consistent belief on the dark ones point part that, the belief is that he can eventually corrupt it, and he has reason to believe that. And the wheel is built in such a way by the creator that on the other side of this, it's like the creator never believes he'll be able to destroy it because he believes he's built something. I don't know. I want to, I want to go back to uh, what Nibblis was saying a minute ago about uh, Rand and, and the last battle. And um, in the last, I'm going to spoil the ending for anybody who has not read the last uh, We've already, we already did that. You, <laughs> we might have already gone. I'm going to go into a little detail about this. In the actual confrontation with the Dark One and Rand, they are basically doing a, a battle of futures, right? Like, there's, like uh, the, the Dark One's like, here's a future with me in charge. Here's a future without me in charge. Here's a future, you know, whatever. And and they're basically showing each other options uh, in, in an attempt to compromise on what the state of the world should be, what the pattern should be at the end of it. Um, they essentially settle with the compromise in the middle where it's the shark, dark one's still kind of around, but like not really gone. But that implies that there's a possibility that the dark one could be gone, right? That there could be, he could have given the dark one complete control or he could have completely eliminated the dark one altogether from the pattern, right? That's like the whole confrontation at the end is which one's he going to choose? So if that's the case, 
and and I know that the this is a this is a counterfactual because he didn't choose those things, but the, the, those options are at least presented to him. Does that mean that he could have eliminated the dark one? Oof. That's a good well, question. I think there. I think that was implied that he could have. I, I mean, I think it was very strongly implied that he had the dark one literally in his hand at one point, and right. felt like it. He he. I think the wording, and again, forgive me, it's been a minute since I've read that last chapter of Memory Light, but I think it's something like he says how pathetic the dark one is. Is something like Rand's thought process is like this all power, like how pathetic it is that I'm holding this in my hand is sort of the implication. Um, and that's at the point that he's used uh, the true power. Like, I feel like now here's the other interesting. And again, I don't mean to take this a different direction, but I think it begs a question. Um, we love begging questions. Well, I mean, again, <laughs> we're getting into some deep metaphysics that I'm sure Robert Jordan, to be frank, if we're being honest, didn't think this deep. So he's going to probably laugh at us for taking it this far. But whatever. <laughs> whatever. Uh, he'll, he'll be like, guys, it's a story. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but. Uh, the implication that the dark one being gone affects like it would make people have no choices, right? Like the dark one essentially represents chaos. Uh, the creator represents complete order, right? And the times when the dark one shows and what it's like without the dark one there, or I think ranch says, what would it be like without the dark one? People are autonomous. Like they're not, they're robots. Okay. To a degree. Um, Obviously, the Dark One's existence uh, gives some type of choice, even when the Dark One is sealed completely, right? He seems to still have some effect on people because the implication that if he were completely gone, right? Does that, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah I, do. So, I, I do. Do you mind me cutting it? I, if you want, yeah, I, I was like, oh, I have this thought to go along with this. Yes, and that never really made sense to me because the sealing of the Dark One does seal him away completely. They talk about this in the Age of Legends where, you know, they you know, eventually moved past war and it wasn't until the drilling of the boar that a lot of these concepts were reintroduced. However, it does now make sense to me if the wheel is always omnipresent, like it's always aware of the possibility of the Dark One. And so if the creator built the wheel to establish a balance, it sounds to me like for the wheel to enable or allow for there to be agency, it must have an influence that it is working against, even when that influence doesn't have a direct effect inside of the pattern. So that's the only way I can explain what, you, what the, the point you're making here, which is, that the future that Rand saw if he destroyed the Dark One was that the wheel itself would create a future without free will. And and because the creator, I mean, because the Dark One would be destroyed and therefore the creation that the creator made would lose its purpose and they'd become automatons and it would just be a meaningless existence inside of the wheel. So it, would you call that a, a broken wheel? Uh, that's a that's that's a good point you know is is destroying the dark one actually breaking the wheel well, well i know i hate to take it to a different story because this is the central premise of the matrix trilogy <laughs> yes i mean it really is where you're getting into the idea of predestination you're getting into the way that people react given freedom or choice right and you have i mean these are weighty i mean these are the center of pretty much every belief system on the planet earth when you look at metaphysics right i mean these themes are central so i mean i think it totally makes sense now 
if you look at what the themes that Robert Jordan pulled heavily on, right, you have, I mean, again, what's the symbol for the wheel of time outside of a wheel, you also have the yin and the yang, right? So you can't have one without the other. You can't have darkness without light. You know, you know what I mean though? Like it, it, I, I think that there, that's a, there's a deliberate necessity for both. And I think Rand, the implication that it can be one or the other without the other, I don't think can exist for anything to function properly. Now, here's the real weird question. If you, and this I think comes back to the core of most Western religions, okay? If a creator, why didn't the creator create it in such a way where you, where the dark one could not get free and could not win? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because you could put a rule set in place that would prevent people like from breaking the dark one free, right? But yet that did not happen. You could say the same thing, uh, not to get religious, but you could say, why did God not create us so that we could not sin? Yes. Right? No, no, I think this is, a, so I don't know that this question, this answer helps, but it does show what Jordan, that Jordan was thinking along this this question or this line of questioning. He, he said in response, this is back in 97, he said, given that time is cyclic, you must assume that there is a time when the prison that holds the dark one is whole and unbroken. There's a time when a hole is drilled into that prison, and it is thus open to that degree. And there's a time when the opening has been patched in a makeshift manner. But following this line, the cyclic nature of time means that we have at some time in the future inevitably a whole and unbroken prison again, unless, of course, the dark one breaks free, in which, in, in which case all bets are off, kick over the table, and run for the window. So it does sound very, and I've, we've said this before, I've, I've made this statement many times before, which is that the drilling of the bore is very much part of the built-in plan for the ages. Right. And then the, the sealing of it, and then the sealing of it poorly, and then the resealing of it um, as a patch, but then the reset of that turning back to when it's whole and unbroken again is part of that. So this goes to why would the creator purposely build in the introduction of the very virus that actually has a chance to destroy it, which according to Jordan here, the dark one does have a chance um, if he breaks free, but maybe Jordan's being cheeky here and breaking free isn't a possibility. Um, so I wonder to the degree that Robert Jordan had the other ages planned out. Okay. Like, you know, and I and here's I'll bring up a theory. I'll let you answer this because I'm sure you know more about the answer to it than I do, Matt. But I mean, I did a there's a, been a long term theory about Nakomi being a previous incarnation of the dragon, right? Yeah, for that. Um, yep. And I, I I actually like that theory quite a bit more, right, than some of the other that Nakomi is the creator or things like that. Like I like the idea of sometime some type of previous incarnation where maybe it played out differently, right? But I, I wonder to the degree that Robert Jordan had the events of the other ages in mind. Like, I don't know that he ever planned them totally, but I mean, I wonder to the degree that there was, hey, here's a general idea in my head of what happens in the fifth age or the sixth age, right? Yeah. I, it, it, I can tell you this. It's not in the notes. I wish it was. Although we just did a notes episode recently and there are some notes that are not available to the public and won't be until, well, there's some, there's some items related to the wheel of time that won't be available until 2037, for example, in the library. 
we don't know if they're actual notes from the books or anything like that, but, but it would not surprise me if he just kept it in his head. Um, mm -hmm. a lot of these things, for example, when he finally decided to, that, to allow someone to finish his books as, uh, after he was ill, some of these things that, you know, Maria, Alan, those that worked closely with him had never heard, you know, and, and one of these, for example, he, he, uh, told, um, he told them that there was a town in, you know, basically in the blight, um, that there was, uh, you know, this idea that no one had ever heard of this, I, you know, that there, there would be a town there, uh, but that there was, and that he had never told anybody that. So this idea that, that there are ages that planned in his head, I absolutely believe he did plan them there. He just, as far as I know, he just never wrote them down, <laughs> which, which yeah. would have been nice. Would have been nice to see what his overarching plan was, but it, it, this is something that he did say one time, which was uh, he didn't think it would be fun to go back and write about the second age because you kind of already know what happens, which is a really interesting kind of – I don't think he wanted to tell anybody what was happening in the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh ages because I think he did at one point say that he might write something in the future of this world. And so I think he probably kept all of it himself just – yeah, so yeah. he could write it one day because he hated the idea of writing it if you already knew what the end was going to be. You know, it, it, there's some truth to that. But the flip side of that is I think you can see with there's some types of literature where we know we may know the final ending, but the process of getting there. Like, I would love to see the Age of Legends and then the fall. I feel like that would be maybe maybe that's a, a future television series. Who knows? But um seeing that to me would be fun um because again portal stones right like I, I i bringing up what we're talking about ages portal stones when did they come about you know they said they were there before the second age does that mean that they came at the end of the first age are they is that a remnant of our age then is that something we just haven't done yet um you know there's a lot of questions that i think come up in the the cosmology here of the wheel of time universe when this stuff falls um you know, so I, you know, I, I getting back to the, you know, Robert Jordan, Luce Theron, right? Here's the other question that I think this poses, and I'm sure we don't have time to really tackle this one, but Rand hears Luce Theron's head, right? They're both reborn incarnations of that soul. How come they don't have access to the previous? Like, did Luce Theron hear other, like, not obviously he didn't hear a voice in his head because he didn't go crazy in the same way Rand did, but. What about the access to the other people that lived out that soul, right? Like who was the previous Luce Theron? Um, was it definitive that it was actually Luce Theron and not just the voice in Van's head? I can't remember. Well, it, I mean, they're all the same soul. So it's, it's the same. Well, inevitably, I think the, the answer was, is that they were always the same. Yeah, they're always the same. It's But the question is, you know, the access to at least memories. I, I don't think Rand makes it clear once he goes through his kind of transformation into accepting whatever that we would say that happens up at the top of Dragon Mount uh, in the Gathering Storm, but when he becomes Zen Rand um, and has right. this moment, um, I I think that you can say that he clearly has a an understanding of Luce Theron's life, as in he has access to those memories. 
can you, you know, did he have access at that moment to memories of all of his previous turnings? It doesn't seem like it. It just seems like Luz Theron. And why wouldn't he have, you know, like, yes, that soul would definitely have all the memories of all previous incarnations. And I think that would be almost too powerful at that point, right? Yeah, right. Well, I also think this, this goes back to my original question was like, is Luz Theron special? Like, is, Rand, is the relationship between Luz Theron and Rand special? Is it different than in other iterations? Oh, is this, you're saying, is the thing that happened between the one we read, the second age, third age, between these two, different or the same as what always happens, basically? Yeah, right. Because, I mean, you're, we're, you're asking this question of like, okay, well, what about the first age incarnation or the seventh age, the previous seventh age? Like, what is, uh, how far back should it go? And if it only goes back to Luz Theron and not to the previous dragon, then why not? Is that because Luz Theron did something special? Or... I, I think it's honestly, this comes back and it's not a satisfying answer. I'll be honest. None of this is. I mean, if anyone digs into the cosmology, the metaphysics of this book, you come to find out the wheel is all powerful. <laughs> the wheel is Oz, but like a real Oz in this plot way, armor. You know? Yeah. It, it, but but it, it's the whole basis of it, it. It's the control mechanism. So if you want to know why Rand starts getting access to those things or eventually only has limited access and, well, the wheel very much sets some of this stuff up uh, because it's giving him what he needs to get it to balance out something that it needs. So he's serving the wheel. And but I, I would say this, I don't know that I don't believe we we have to believe that that relationship always occurs that way. Jordan did talk about that whole tapestry idea. I think you brought this up at the beginning, Brian, of if you stand back and look at the lace or the age lace, if you will, and see all the turnings of the wheel. And you saw all the third ages next to each other. If you stood far enough back, it might look the same. But as you got closer, everything would look different. And then if you got really close, they would look nothing like themselves. So I would say a hundred turnings ago or a hundred turnings into the future, how the person who is the dragon, um, how his story or, I guess technically, yeah, his story would turn out doesn't have to be anything like Rand's uh, and Rand's relationship with Luz Theron. We don't know that there's no reason to believe that Luz Theron has to create Dragon Mount every in every turning. It could. It could be that he always kills himself in every turning, but uh, it doesn't seem like every single step has to be a necessity. It just is basically a boars drilled and... You know, the dragon soul is instrumental in sealing off the dark one. And then in the next age, you have someone that seals it, you know, completely versus just kind of partially. So I, I, I keep coming back to this notion that uh, that Luz Theron is different. Like the relationship between Luz Theron and Rand is different from every other soul. Right. Oh, like like Egwene has no idea who her previous soul is. Neither, uh, even like Taim and the, and the others, like any of the other uh, Ashaman that we see, they're going crazy. Like they're not in contact with their previous soul. So there's something special. There's something different about Luz Theron and Rand and their relationship. And it could just be, I mean, the answer is the plot demanded it. Yeah, that's the answer. But like from a metaphysics standpoint, to me, it's, it basically says Luz Theron did something different. He, his, well, I, th I think uh, you could add to that, though. I, I can see where you're going with that. But I, I think the other difference is, is that Rand is the only one of those characters you've mentioned that is a hero of the horn. 
Luce Theron is technically connected to the horn. So I, again, that gets into, well, what are those souls and what is the nature <laughs> of, I mean, that's right, a whole right. other discussion topic. Yeah. And I'll throw another one at you. Um, if I, I, and I, I could be wrong on this map, but I'm pretty darn sure it says this somewhere in the notes where pot on Fane is different. That is the one thing that was different that has not happened before. Um, yes. Or something along those yeah, lines. That's true. Jordan, that's true. Jordan answered a question. It was uh, during a QA in 2002, because I wanted to look that one up. Uh, he said, He is unique to this particular age, a very unique fellow indeed. In some ways, you might say he has unwittingly sidestepped the pattern. Which I think. I, I always wondered this. I wondered if there was a setup there for him. I think most of us actually thought that he was going to either become the new dark one or something. If Rand, you know, was able to, you know, I think there was some type of a, he was going to be something, you know, and I, you know, obviously I think that's probably, I would say the number one cited thing that most people were disappointed with the ending on uh, was what happened with pot on Fane. I mean, Brandon has even gone back and said he was just, that had played out differently. Maybe. Um, so again, I, I, I'm not to take us down another rabbit hole here, but I mean, I think this all kind of fits into that cosmology argument about, okay, is Pat on Fane subject to the pattern anymore? I mean, you know, what, what degree of control does the pattern have to correct? Does it give, because Rand also mentions that he thinks that the pattern gave him the madness of like the dark one unwittingly gave him the ability to defeat him. By giving him access, his madness, quote unquote, was Luce Theron. Obviously, that's also Simarog mentions it that um, people do have access to their, and it's usually deadly. And Simarog doesn't lie, right? She was saying that people have had access. That's something that they dealt with before. Um, that was a type of madness, and it typically ended in death. Just it so happens in Rand's case, it didn't. It helped him defeat because he needed lose Theron's memories. Yeah. I, I'm going to go. Uh, there's a couple of lines down here. And, and I, like you said, probably for like a couple different shows uh, and discussions about this, but Pat and Fane, um, he, his influences were one, a, I guess Brandon said it was a natural, unnatural kind of power was the basis of Mordeth. And, and then you think about the dark one and the mix of those two things somehow gave him some kind of, I mean, he, Jordan said, I mean, this is, again, he said in some ways you might say he has unwittingly sidestep the pattern, but it does suggest that it's, it's like he's doing things that maybe the pattern or he has abilities that the pattern can't or the wheel can't account for. And so it's not predictable. It's not simulatable. You know, it's, if that's a word, it's not a, something that can be predicted. And therefore he's outside of the overall kind of nature of the control of the wheel uh, because it, he can do things that um, are a surprise, if you will, um, and can which, change Which things. brings me back to my original question of, maybe, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put it on, on Fane. Can Fane break the wheel? Well, and while you're thinking about that, there are other instances in the books where people talk about like uh, the 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 war of power. Uh, people used um, balefire all the time, and then they realized that the pattern was unraveling. If enough people use balefire, does that break the wheel? But then, that break the but pattern, then the pattern gives Egwene a weave to heal it. 
I'm just again, I'm coming back to this. <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. a there is a mechanism, <laughs> no matter what problem. Now, not that not that I'm going to keep reiterating this, but the Matrix and uh, Wheel of Time are the exact same story when it comes to this because Agent Smith is pot on fame. Sure, okay? he's a malevolent force introduced that does not fit either construct, right? Um, now. Again, obviously, that didn't. That, that's where the parallel ends. But still, I mean, I think that that's a very good analogy to what Pot on Fane may be represented to the pattern is something that it could not necessarily didn't have the programming. <laughs> if we want to go back to that, didn't have the programming language to fix it. Um, so again, it's an it's an interesting topic because basically, what does Fane do? Fane corrupts and then you also hear and again I, I always chalk this up to robert jordan not having his world fleshed out quite yet but when agonor agonor tracks them to the eye by matt's dagger okay like that's how they're able to find him yep. and he says our ancient enemy or evil or some something like that is yeah, the word friend right? and enemy basically yeah, yeah like that comes back in obviously agonor wasn't around when arid hall fell like he was locked in the boar. So like, is that, is that evil essence of sorts, something that existed again? The, I feel in, like in we're opening age. up 15 yeah, yeah. Pandora's boxes here. <laughs> there are, there are, but I would say, yes, I believe that Agonor was aware of that. I think Agonor studied whatever evil malevolent uh, power that is the basis of Mordeth back in the second age and called it a friend because of that uh, conceptually that he was a, uh, that he understood it and, uh, but it was also dangerous um, in the sense of being an enemy uh, because of what ends up happening later on and and maybe what happened in the Age of Legends with that same evil. But I think this does go back to the main premise of what we're talking about here, which is Rand, here's a couple of, uh, you know, summary items. Rand does, he can destroy the Dark One. We're led to believe he can destroy the Dark One and basically handicap the wheel in some way, you know, or, or like stunt the wheel or prevent the wheel from being a mechanism of balance or growth. I don't know what you're going to call it. Basically he can yeah. change the pattern by destroying the dark one. So he does have the power. Here's a soul inside the wheel that could corrupt the intent of the wheel to, to a great degree. And then you have someone like Fane who is corrupted by a power that's built into the wheel and a power outside of it, the dark one who can also seemingly potentially corrupt the wheel in some way. So it does seem like Jordan did make the wheel as potentially um, corruptible. Can you destroy it? I don't, I don't believe you can. For example, the balefire. So what the pattern is destroyed. So the wheel, so the wheel weaves a new pattern. Like it's what I mean right. is I I think it could just like or like Nabla said, uh, it just fixes the you know or just fixes the pattern itself or uses somebody to fix it. But I, I it does sound like the wheel is changeable or corruptible. Just can you destroy it? No, but it seems like the powers that drive it and the powers around it, like the dark one and inside of it, can affect it. Well, let's let's circle back though because let's come back to Rand at the end of the story. Okay. First of all, we have Moradin set up as the big baddie, right? And then all of a sudden, he becomes so insignificant to Rand, right? Like it, you know, he's almost not even a threat at that point. Like it doesn't feel like he really poses a real threat to Rand at that point. Um, Rand is ascended to a different level of power and perception, right? 
And when he leaves his little confrontation and sealing the bore, right? Um, he no longer can channel, but he appears, like you said, Matt, to have the power of creation. Like he is now steps outside of the pattern. He is now a figure that seems to be able to create or weave the pattern as he wills. So, which also, by the way, is something that we see out of Nakomi. Okay. Nakomi seemingly is able to do the same thing in her interactions with Avienda. And when we run into Nakomi at the bore, like you see her again. So again, it kind of brings up, I know there's no real definitive answers to any of this, right? But did Rand gain the ability to control the pattern? Is he really an avatar of the creator, right? Is the creator creating his will in a very same way that Shaidar Haran, for instance, maybe was the avatar of the Dark One? Um, is he able to influence the world now to correct it, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just posing questions here with this, but um, I think that there's clearly an answer in there because that's something Brandon's not allowed to talk about. So, yeah, is there is there a concept almost of like ascendance of a soul, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, are they? Is there like a are you leveling up? We know people can become heroes. Souls that were not heroes before can become heroes. You know, is it? Will it has it been the dra same dragon soul for every turning of the wheel, or has that dragon soul was for the first fifty thousand turnings it was one soul, and that soul ascended in some way and changed, and then it chose another soul to be the dragon soul? I mean, Jordan talks about the dragon soul is always the same soul, uh, so these are some of the questions. But I wish we could ask him, <laughs> which is, yeah, you know, is there a way yeah. for a soul to ascend and and does, then the wheel to choose another? You know. There's a um, there's another fantasy series by Pierce Anthony called The Incarnations of Immortality, and I'm, I'm going to spoil the last book, but the um, the it came out in the '90s, so deal with it. But the the gist of it is uh, that the characters' incarnations are like nature, war, uh, fate, time, etc., and then good and evil, so God and and Satan and God and Lucifer, and they are um, basically fighting over the souls of the world one of the last book, the premise of the last book is that all of the other incarnations get together and they decide, you know what? God hasn't been seen in forever. He's just been disconnected from the world for 2000 years. We should get a new God. And so they go on this hunt and they basically find, try to find the best person on earth to be promoted, to be the incarnation of good. And then you have a new God. And one of the premises throughout the series is that the incarnation of evil can also change. So Beelzebub and Lucifer and Satan are three different people. They're not, it's not just three names of the same person. So what I'm getting at is like, is it possible um, that the creator is actually a temp temporary job? <laughs> you know, is it possible that Rand is the new creator? And the, old cre the old creator left, he's gone. And now Rand is the new creator. And now he's ascended into. Well, just, is that what Nakomi was? Yeah, yeah. Is Nakomi the creator, right, or a creator? Yeah, maybe she's handing off the <laughs> handing off the reins to the new uh, the new generation. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, we've kind of gone off on a, gone off on a lot of different tangents. <laughs> yes, and, this is like uh, twelve shows here. in one. <laughs> we we now have plenty of fodder for future episodes. So uh, stay tuned if you want to talk more about those things. But I think we should just leave it here. Does anybody have any final thoughts they would like to share? No, I appreciate you having me on. This is what you get when you bring me on is lots of random ADHD topics and shifting all over the place. So <laughs> if good. you want more of that, invite me back. Um, we definitely will. 
<laughs> definitely, definitely will. Matt, you have anything? Uh, obviously, all of you know Nablus, but if this is somehow the first time you've ever heard of Nablus, go look him up on YouTube. Go follow him at The Great Blight. Uh, he does excellent work uh, and has all of these kind of fun discussions on his own channel and doing his own stuff too. So yeah, just make sure you uh, check him out. Like I said, if, if, if for some possible reason you've never heard of him before today. Uh, well, Nebulous, it was great having you on the show. We really appreciate your time and uh, we'll definitely, definitely have you back. Guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. It's Absolutely. Fun talking to you. Yeah, good times. I have so many questions. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for now. Thank you for listening to Barside Chats. If you like us, leave us a review or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in next time at Barside Chats. Barside Chats is a Dusty Wheel production, jointly hosted by Brian the Gleeman and Matt the Innkeeper. If you would like to support this podcast, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, or you may email us at podcast at thedustywheel.com.